Amen. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you, team. At this time, we're going to dismiss our preteens and teens. If you're visiting with us today and have a preteen or teenage child, you can exit to my left out those doors to the fellowship hall. Good morning, church. I got to echo what Mikey was saying. Traditionally, for those of us who are in church and tracks numbers and everything, the first Sunday after Easter, which that is what it is by the church calendar, the first we're in the Easter season of things of the church year. But traditionally, unfortunately, usually the first Sunday after Easter is very low attended. But wow, thank you guys. A lot of new faces. Some are traveling through. I met some of you traveling. Thanks for choosing Creekside Community Church to come and worship in truth and in spirit with us today. So we're going to be talking about, as you see, reasonable doubt. And I'll get into that and kind of unpack that. Because, you know, it is the Sunday after Easter. Think back in history. Christ has been resurrected. Somebody say hallelujah, amen. amen. He shows himself to people. And that's where we find our stories, our scripture text. But I want to present something because I'm going to take kind of a, a different, a unique take on it, hopefully. Hopefully challenge you, hopefully maybe stretch you a little bit. What if your life was defined by just one event? What if I got to pick that event? <laughs> A good event, a bad event. Uh, let me say it this way. What if your life was defined by something you had said in your past? And down through generations to generations, that's how you were known. That's what they tied to you. That's what you, it, it, so much that it even became a catchphrase. Okay, put that on the back burner. We're going to get to that when we get into the message. Let's talk about reasonable doubt. I always like to define things, and by Webster, by, uh, you know, I say Webster. Actually, it's dictionary online these days, right, with high-tech stuff. Reasonable doubt is the highest level of proof that must be exceeded. Did you hear what I said? The highest level of proof that must be exceeded to secure a guilty verdict in a criminal case in a court of law. So think on that. That's what it takes to make reasonable doubt of something. Now, we have two main scripture texts. We're going to kind of set it up and go to the book of Acts first, Acts 5, 27, and 32, to set up the scene for our main text. In Acts 27, verse 27, chapter 5, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, that's the legalistic church of the day, the church leaders, to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Uh, the name they don't want them teaching is Jesus. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Uh, who would you think would speak up? Nobody but Peter. Peter and the other apostles replied, at least they talked with him. I love this. We must obey God rather than human beings. And I'll tell you what, I believe I've said this before from the pulpit, the day is coming where we'll have to make a decision, amen? Whether we obey God with what the government or our leaders are telling us or if we obey man. But Peter says it here, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. Peter had seen him, he was a witness. Whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. 
So we set this up that if you remember, if you've read the first of Acts, Jesus not only appeared to the 12, it said he's appeared even up to like 500 people. After resurrection, seeing Jesus was a real thing. But there was an event that was a, a close encounter. And that's what we're going to unpack today. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, we've kind of done a Quentin Tarantino. We're flashing back before Acts because they were scared, right? Jesus was risen. They're still meeting. There's persecution going on. They're behind locked doors for a reason. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Don't you love Jesus, how he always wants to calm the situation? He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in our lives. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, naturally. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples. We don't know where he was, but he wasn't there when Jesus came and did this. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is a realist. Thomas got to have the evidence in front of him. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas happened to be there with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace with you. Jesus can walk through walls, y'all. Did y'all know that? He's supernatural. That'd do it for me. But sometimes all of us, we need more faith, we need more proof. This is where we're going with the message today. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, notice he goes straight to Thomas and addresses Thomas' concerns. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And look at Thomas' response. My Lord and my God. Wouldn't you like to have been in that room and seen that? Wouldn't that have been an incredible sight? But look what Jesus told him. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's us, y'all. Amen? I haven't seen nail-scarred hands. I've read about them. I believe them. I haven't seen the pierced side. I will one day. Amen? That's us. Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so our main scripture text, this unique story right here, is hence from where we get the phrase, What? Doubting Thomas. You ever been called that? Oh, you're just a doubting Thomas. You ever pitched a deal or an idea or something to somebody and say, well, don't be a doubting Thomas. Here's where I'm at. And I didn't hold this all my walk of faith life. 
I think old Thomas gets a bad rap. I do. I think they've hunted that one event for all his life. I mean, it's obvious he had his doubts, but I'm not so sure those doubts are not unlike ours in growing in the process to deepen our faith. And I, I think I can submit it for your approval today, and you might tend to see this way and embrace this, and it might grow all of our faith if we get a little more like Thomas. Today we define a doubting Thomas, another definition, as a skeptic who refuses to believe without direct personal experience. But again, was Thomas really, really doubting Jesus? Was, was it more like Thomas maybe was having a crisis of belief? Uh, don't raise your hand. How many of you have been there in your walk of faith? Some of us have been in a walk of faith for 20 years, 30 years, maybe even 40 some here. And there, there's hills and valleys in our walk of faith, isn't there? And sometimes we have a crisis of belief. Sometimes we get stuck in a rut. Anybody been in a rut here in their faith life before? I sure, I've been in more than one. I'm sure you have too. So let's look. Thomas doesn't have a lot in the Bible, a lot of references and statements, but he does have some. In John eleven sixteen, it says, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, so we know we're talking about the right guy, says to the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now here's another great story. What has happened, Jesus has just found out his best friend Lazarus is dead. And Jesus being Jesus is trying to tell the disciples that, Oh, we're going to go in while he's asleep. And they're like, well, why is he sleeping? No, we need to go. And you know the story. And then finally, Jesus just has to tell these, these uh, sharp tools in the shed, say, he's dead. <laughs> Lazarus is gone. We're waiting to go because I'm going to do an amazing work. But you can read this. Look at this statement. You can read this either way. You can read this as Thomas being all distraught and depressed and like, oh, might as well go. Or you can read it that Thomas has the confidence that something great's going to happen. And I also, you know what I see in this statement? I see loyalty. Well, if Jesus is going through it, I'm going through it with him. If Jesus is called to go to Bethany, I'm going to be by his side. What if we had that attitude, church? Whatever we're going through, no, Jesus is going through. And what Jesus went through, we're going through. Again, in John 14, verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And the situation here was he unloads them, hey, this week I'm going to ride in like two weeks before, or, yeah, two weeks ago, one week before Easter, I'm going to ride in to a big crowd loving me by the end of the week. You're going to see me stand in front of Pilate beaten like you've never seen a man beaten, and I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And some, it says, left in that time, and look who asked the question. Jesus says, will you, mainly talking to his inner circle, will you guys also desert and leave me? What does Thomas say? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, you can bash him there, but also you can, you can see Thomas asking a legit question. That's what I think. I think Thomas was a guy who just wanted answers. Does that ring a bell with any of you? Sometimes our faith... Sometimes the events in our life or sometimes the event in people around us or our family cause us to say, God, what's going on? I need a sign. Give me an answer. Show me something to increase my faith. Even times in the Gospels, people came to Jesus and he told them, if you believe, you can receive. 
People even said, increase my faith. Let me ask you, let me challenge you. When's the last time you asked God to increase your faith? If you're going through a trial or a struggle or a tribulation. So I would submit to you that under closer look, these statements don't exactly have to mean or appear as proclamations of doubt. It could be proclamations of loyalty and commitment to a walk of faith. It could be a self-confession that my faith is not where it's supposed to be. I need you to help. I try to get through, through lessons without making an Alabama uh, reference and a coach reference. But the greatest coach of all, Nick Saban, says you got to coach him up. I think, I, think, I think Thomas is saying, Jesus, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Coach me up. You ever been there with your faith? You ever struggled and wonder, why is all this happening? You ever felt like throwing in the towel? Maybe you need to cry out to God and, Lord, increase my faith. No matter what happens, Lord, I won't desert you. I'm with you. If we've got to go to Bethany, we're going to Bethany. Tell me the way we're going to go. Tell me what to do in this last week for you, Jesus. I, I see where I'm at in my walk of faith. I see loyalty and commitment to Jesus. And I'll suggest to you, if we got more loyalty and commitment to Jesus, I think the trials and speed bumps in our life would be a little easier. I think we could handle them. So here's four truths, four applications we're going to unpack from these passages and then look at a couple more scriptures. Number one, God understands we'll have doubts. You know what you don't notice in the Thomas and Jesus interchange? Because he did it before. If you know your Gospels, many times... Jesus became frustrated with the disciples, and what did he say? What was his favorite saying? Oh, you of little faith. He doesn't say that to Thomas here, does he? He says, here I am, Thomas. Touch the scars. Feel my side. You need this to be totally satisfied? I'm right here. A lot of people, I've talked to people who think, well, if I have doubt... God's just going to, he's going to do something bad to me. I think God welcomes our doubts because our doubts produce us to dive deeper into the word of God, into his spirit, and grow our faith. You know, here, here's another example for you. The engine in your car, if you know anything about an internal combustion engine, pistons and movement all together, and when everything's working properly and it's oiled right, it's got to have oil in it, but those parts have friction. We use the word friction sometimes always in a derogatory way, don't we? Oh, I had friction with them. But you know what? Friction sometimes is good because your car wouldn't be moving down the road without friction. But it's maintained. So as we walk through our walk of faith, discovering how to deepen our faith, discovering how to grow our faith, it's okay to doubt. I, I'm sure I could get a show of hands for some of you. Some of you have been Christians for a while that there's things you believe maybe in your 20s, you don't hold them as near and dear. Maybe it was told to you from your tribe or your denomination and you read the word for yourself and you're like, yo, that, that just, that's, that's not the word of God. That's not really right. You know, think about Jesus in his day. The Pharisees were experts at adding stuff on. And many, many churches today are experts in saying, well, you can't be a Christian if you don't do this, if you don't check this mark. Well, show me the scripture for that. 
That's a faith building. So God understands that in our walk of faith, we will have our doubts. And I think he welcomes them. Number two, our doubts, are, our doubts when answered can lead to a deeper faith. Where do you think Thomas was after he felt the nail-pierced hands and the side? I mean, you see from his instant proclamation, my Lord and my God. He's saying Jesus is who he says he is, and he's even saying he is what? I am. He's the everlasting. He's the Messiah. There was no doubt, no doubt in Thomas's mind at this point in time. Number three, doubting seems to be somewhere in a normal human nature in the process of developing our faith. Think about, think about the time before you came to Christ. You know, what was it that held you from accepting him, walking an aisle, being born again, being baptized? Well, I don't know. For you, I, I had my mom's sister was an old maid all of her life. And I didn't find out till late in my life that she didn't accept Christ till late. I, I thought, you know, she was just a saintly woman. She was a great influence in my life. She really was. She's more even like a grandmother than an aunt. But one day, when I, after I became a little mature in my faith in my mid-20s, I asked her, I said, what kept, when I found, she didn't accept Christ until she was like 28. And I said, what kept you from accepting Christ? And this totally blew me away. Her answer, she goes, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't align the virgin birth. What? But that was her hang-up. And she really couldn't give a good answer why. But one day, the Spirit of God got a hold of her, and she accepted Christ, and I'll see her again. Amen? Hallelujah. But doubting sometimes seems normal to the process. Hear me. That's the key word there, the process of developing our faith. And I've said this before. I hadn't said it in a while. Know this. Here's the spiritual truth. Right now, this minute, this hour, you are either moving closer to God or falling away. Realize that. There's no hovering. There's no, we're not hummingbirds in our faith. You are either actively growing deeper and increasing your faith or you're slipping away from being who God's called you to be. So you need to develop a process, be in the Word, be in a small group, surround yourself with godly people that encourage you to walk the Christian walk. It's part of the process. And last but not least, belief in the unseen can be stronger than belief in what is seen. Paul would write the Philippian church this way in Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence. Look at this next phrase. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When's the last time you worked out your salvation with fear and trembling? It's a huge thing. For it is God who works in you and to act in order to fill his good purpose. What does that look like? I think it's a continual process of renewing our faith, being transformed, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Not conformed to the world and what the world wants to put on, but transformed into this new and living creature, this follower of Jesus. 
and the last verse from the faith chapter. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You could actually insert the word for substance, confidence. As I just said earlier in the message, I am confident that Jesus' hands are nail-scarred. I am confident there's a wound in his side. I don't have to see it. I believe it. I am confident of the things I hope for. And by him being a resurrected, crucified Savior, my hope is those beautiful passages in the Bible that we some talked of last week, by the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead, you also will one day be resurrected in life. That's our hope, church, that we believe the same way Thomas believed, my Lord, my God, my Messiah, my Savior. There will be times in my life when I'm struggling. Where, is, where are you at, God? Or why did this have to happen to me? It may cause a crisis of belief, but a crisis of belief will always call for a response to your faith. So, where's your faith this morning? Do you have reasonable doubts of your walk of faith, of what God's doing in your life and the life around you? It's okay. God's big enough to handle them. Bring them to God. Dive deeper. Surround yourself with people that encourage you. Have more confidence more substance in the things that we hope for and the evidence of things not seen. Because that, to the Word of God, is faith. And it's faith, it's faith that will carry us through this Christian walk. If you're here this morning and you need your faith increased, we'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray after service. Love to find somebody. If you can find somebody to pray with, you can pray. I'm going to pray over us. If you've never named the name of Christ, if you don't know what it is to be a follower of Jesus, a believer in Christ, to make a confession that he is that son of the living God, that he is the Messiah, that he is Savior, be buried with him in baptism and then walk as a born-again believer, we can assist you in that as well. But go out this week. Go out this week and process and work on and dive deeper in your faith, especially if you have speed bumps and trials and tribulations in your life. Let's pray together, and then we'll go into a time of communion. Pray with me. Father, again, I'm so thankful for your word, for so many scriptural truths, but again, as we see today, so many practical events and things that we can just draw great strength, great encouragement from, I think Thomas was a simple man. And we know by history, he never wavered because he was martyred. He was killed for his faith in his last years. Father, would you help all of us to handle our doubts when they come up, but not to fret, not to be overwhelmed with anxieties or fears, but to hear the words of Jesus as he said to his Disciples following him, peace be to us. And to reach out. If we need to 
dive deep into the faith, into these stories, to call out on his holy name, increase our faith. Help us to walk deeper in our faith. Help us to give others elevated faith by the things we say and the things we do. Never let us as children of God be known by our doubts or one defining event or be misaligned, but let us be known as children and people of great faith. Faith that moves mountains. Faith that is everlasting. Faith that is eternal. Faith like we see through the rest of the people. Faith that has Faith that has courage, courage of Joshua, the courage of Gideon, the courage of Moses, courage of Samson, all ordinary flawed men who found their faith and walked in your will. Let us, Father, as your sons and daughters, do the same. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.